Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. My name is Anas and I'll be your conference operator today. Bonjour, je m'appelle Anas et je serai votre opérateur pour la conférence d'aujourd'hui. I will now introduce Mr. Mathieu Deschenaux, Vice President Finance et Alimentation Couchetard. Je vais maintenant donner la parole à Mr. Mathieu Deschenaux, Vice President Finance pour Alimentation Couchetard. Merci. Euh, bon matin, bonjour. J'aimerais d'abord vous souhaiter la bienvenue à la téléconférence qui porte sur la diffusion des résultats financiers du quatrième trimestre et de l'exercice 2021 d'alimentation couche-tard. Toutes les lignes seront placées en mode discrétion afin d'éviter tout bruit inutile. À la suite de la présentation, nous répondrons aux questions qui nous ont été soumises à l'avance par les analystes. Nous souhaitons vous rappeler que cette web émission sera disponible sur notre site web pour une période de 90 jours. De plus, prenez note que certains sujets discutés au cours de cette web émission pourraient consister en des déclarations prospectives qui sont fournies par la société avec des avertissements habituels. Ces avertissements ou risques ainsi que ces incertitudes sont décrits dans nos rapports financiers. Il est donc possible que nos résultats futurs puissent différer des informations présentées aujourd'hui. Les résultats financiers seront présentés par M. Brian Anush, président et chef de la direction, et par M. Claude Tessier, chef de la direction financière. Good morning. I would like to welcome everyone to this web conference presenting Alimentation Couchetard's financial results for its fourth quarter and fiscal year 2021. All lines will be kept on mute to prevent any background noise. After the presentation, we will answer questions that were forwarded to us beforehand by analysts. We would like to remind everyone that this webcast presentation will be available on our website for a 90-day period. Also, please remember that some of the issues discussed during this webcast might be forward-looking statements, which are provided by the corporation with its usual caveats. These caveats and risks and uncertainties are outlined in our financial reporting. Therefore, our future results could differ from the information discussed today. Our financial results will be presented by Mr. Brian Hanish, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Mr. Claude Tessier, Chief Financial Officer. Brian, you may begin your conference. Thank you, Matthew, and good morning, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining us for this presentation of our annual and fourth quarter 2021 results. You know, overall, uh, we had a remarkable year, um, both in terms of financially and operationally, despite uh, you know, the pain we all felt through this last year and the persistent pressures of the pandemic on our customers, our team members, and our supply partners. Across our network, we made notable progress in our strategy of accelerating organic growth by expanding our fresh food offer to 2,000 stores, rolling out more frictionless payment options, progressing our data and analytics work, and our fuel procurement and transport capabilities. We've also expanded our brands, particularly online and on the forecourt, making them increasingly more modern and recognizable at every part of our customer's journey. Through the acquisition of Circle K Hong Kong, we made a long-planned entry into the dynamic Asian market, and through our Norway lab, we pushed forward our ambition to become a world leader 
and electric vehicle solutions. Despite all the challenges brought on by the pandemic, we remain focused and committed to our long-term strategy, hitting key milestones on all of our key work streams throughout the year. I'm also pleased to report that we had a solid fourth quarter with results strengthening where we are seeing COVID restrictions easing. Across the board, we've had positive trends in same source sales and volumes as traffic is returning to our locations with rural and suburban recovering at a faster rate than urban. While fuel volumes remain impacted by restrictive measures, steady improvements carried through parts of the network, especially in the US, where we're seeing a return to more normal driving patterns. We also continue to realize good fuel margins in all our regions of the business, despite significant increases in product costs during the quarter. 15 months after the start of the pandemic, the continued commitment to the business and care for our customers has been exceptional. And during my almost seven years as CEO of this company, I've never been more proud of our team members than this past year. I want to take a moment to address the recent cyber attacks in the Colonial Pipeline. You know, while it happened after the quarter, it did cause significant disruption in the U.S. supply. As you know, the pipeline was completely shut down for several days, which especially impacted our fuel supply in our business and for the industry, spanning all the way from Texas up through the North and uh, Great Lakes regions. I want to thank our fuel and operational teams and our supply partners for their tireless work over the course of these many weeks, actively buying products at alternative locations, shuffling resources within areas with limited product availability, and over longer hauls and putting in massive efforts to get our sites wet for our customers, especially prior to the Memorial holiday. Today I'm glad to report we're fully operational and ready for the summer holiday driving season. Turning to the results of the quarter, same store sales growth was 8.1% in the US, 1.6% in Canada, and 9.7% in Europe, compared with the same quarters last year. During the last weeks of the quarter, restrictions ban began to be lifted in parts of our network, particularly in the US, and we are cautiously optimistic that as vaccination ramps up across the world, we'll continue to see traffic improve. Along the way, we continue to make sure that we have the right value propositions, including our Sip and Safe subscription beverage program, our Smart Value program, our Lyft, which is a basket building tool, and gamified promotions to keep our customers engaged with us in driving traffic to our locations as people get out and about. This quarter, we've expanded the reach of our Fresh Food Fast program, bringing the offering to Canada. Our focus remains on the quality and ease of our operational execution, and we continue to optimize our program by launching new items. Customer feedback remains strong, and as morning commutes resume, we expect the offer will become even more popular. While food in general has been impacted by the pandemic and decreased traffic, when we look at our new program in isolation, it continues to perform very well compared to sites that are not on the program in the same markets. Based on these results, in fiscal year 22, we plan on adding more than 3,000 additional stores across the network. In Europe, we continue to develop the new Fresh Food Fast concept as a platform for future growth with a goal to maintain our high level of food quality and sales while reducing our labor requirements. We now have a pilot in Denmark with our new self-service options and have introduced more freshly produced and hot food choices. This service option is making it easier for our customers to have a fast overview of the offerings, as well as more simplified ordering and picking up of a full meal, including cold drinks. In Q4, we piloted our new Sip and Save beverage subscription across 122 state stores, allowing customers to redeem one beverage of their choice, hot or cold, for every day for a monthly cost of $5.99. The Sip and Save subscription includes all dispensed and is redeemable for any size, 
including refills up to 64 ounces. Based on very early positive results, the program is now scaled nationally, and we're growing our subscription base, base rapidly, uh, now exceeding over 500,000 uh, enrolls. Overall, packaged beverage continues to remain strong over the quarters. We've seen a shift away from larger packages popular during the pandemic and back to more normal instant consumption single-serve packages. Our alcohol business continues to be strong, especially in Canada, which is showing the highest increase over plan in last year. Uh, in the U.S., we expect sales to moderate a bit as we see, obviously, more restaurants and bars uh, reopen. During the quarter, uh, we expanded our queue lines systems to about 900 U.S. stores, creating a clear path to purchase and the ability to place high impulse items in front of the customers immediately before checkout. We continue to progress with this initiative and we see, as we see accretive growth in feature categories, including private label. Our plans this fiscal year are to expand this to an additional 3,500 sites. In other age-restricted products, cigarettes sales remain strong in the quarter, although margins continue to be pressured due to more multi-sale, multi-unit sales, excuse me. Other tobacco products sales remain strong, especially driven by European business. And modern white oral nicotine products continue to show strong growth in both U.S. and Europe markets. Over the year, we committed to be a more data-centric convenience business. And again, this quarter, we worked hard to develop our capabilities. This is one of our top strategic initiatives, and we're pleased with the results so far. In our store-by-store pricing, we're seeing an improvement in gross margin dollars, and with significant learnings in place, we're expanding the in-scope SKUs. Next on the agenda, we'll focus on the data and analytics teams on optimizing assortment and promotional activities at the local store level. We have multiple pilots in place and feel this is a very material opportunity for our company. Moving to the fuel side of the business for the quarter, same-store road transportation fuel increased 5.4% in the U.S., 3.6% in Europe and other regions, and 4.9% in Canada due to higher fuel demand to the comparative quarter. However, fuel volumes continue to be challenged by work from home and local restrictions in the various geographies in which we operate. And as I mentioned earlier, fuel margins remain healthy really across the network. Turning to our Circle K fuel supply, over the course of the year, we converted 450 refiner-branded sites to Circle K fuel. At the end of the quarter, we had nearly 2,800 sites in the U.S. with our Circle K fuel brand, and this coming fiscal year, we will rebrand over 800 additional sites. These conversions dramatically increase brand awareness, improve underlying costs, and give us the ability to control and simplify the customer journey. We're also on a journey to create additional consumer benefits for the brand. One example is we're piloting various premium claim strategies in specific markets at over 780 sites. Here we're pleased with initial results and are planning forward a national rollout of this, this, this uh, promotional activity. Over this past year, we've also been investing in our fleets and building more optionality in our fuel procurement with our partnership with Musket. We believe this relationship will dramatically accelerate our supply and trading capabilities Again, further differentiating how we procure and deliver fuel from other competitors in the industry. Also, through a partnership with both Musket and Trillium, a leading provider of alternative fuels, we recently began converting our company-owned fuel delivery tankers in California to renewable natural gas as part of our sustainability efforts to reduce methane emissions. Despite the general impact on traffic by the pandemic, our e-mobility business continued to grow throughout the year. In Norway, EV charging now currently makes up approximately 13% of all energy transactions at our store, 
with about 80,000 monthly charging transactions. We're also growing out our in-home charging business and have expanded this offer outside of Norway to all of our Scandinavian countries. Our B2B mobility offer has been especially well-received since its launch this year, and this business now accounts for more than 20% of all transactions on public chargers. With the recent introduction of our Circle K Pro digital platform, we have made it easier for our valued fleet customers to get charging services combined with fuel and convenience, essentially getting all their Circle K needs at the lowest total cost of mobility. We also opened this year, this quarter, uh, an exciting flagship store in uh, Konsberg, Norway, with our first forecourt that is fully electric, with 300 kilowatt speed chargers under large canopy covered in solar panels. This is the first electric forecourt in our history. Uh, this two-level store also has extensive food offers, large dining, and a back area offering a full selection of fuels, biofuels, and AdBlue for our internal combustion customers. Our experience in Norway has shown us that convenience and fuel sites have a role to play in the build-out of the EV infrastructure, and we continue to explore how we will apply our experiences to participate at the right level at the right time in North America. This year, we made significant strides in frictionless capabilities. In this quarter, we're especially proud of our work on the forecourt with the expansion of our pay-by-plate program. Following a successful pilot in Norway, we launched pay-by-plate as a frictionless payment method to our fuel customers across our entire Swedish network. To use pay-by-plate, customers simply drive into the forecourt, fill up with fuel through number plate recognition, automatically and safely pay on the Circle K Easy app. We were the first retailer in the world to launch this technology on a national scale, and we recently won the NACS European Convenience Retail Technology Award for our work in this area. In the coming months, we're looking forward to expanding the solution to more European business units. Our new stores remain an important organic growth lever across the network, and we're seeing a solid return on investment. Across the network this year, we opened new Horizon Concepts with a refreshed brand look and feel in the U.S., Canada, Sweden, and Lithuania. These new Horizon stores enhance the customer experience by showcasing our fresh food fast initiatives, our bean-to-cup coffee offer, and touch-free options. And we're pleased with the early performance results. I'm going to pause there and uh, let Claude take you through more of the fourth quarter and annual financial results. Claude. Thank you, Brian. Ladies and gentlemen, good morning. So for the fourth quarter of uh, 2021, we are happy to report net earnings attributable to shareholders of the corporation of $563.9 million, or 52 cents per share on a diluted basis. Excluding certain items for both comparable periods, adjusted net earnings for the quarter uh, of uh, our fourth quarter of fiscal 2021 were approximately $564 million, or $0.52 cents per share on a diluted basis, compared with $0.47 cents per share for the fourth quarter of fiscal 2020, which, is, which represents an increase of 10.6%. Net earnings were $2.7 billion for fiscal 2021, compared with $2.4 billion for fiscal 2020, an increase of 15%. Diluted net earnings for per share stood at $2.44 compared with $2.09 for the previous fiscal year. Excluding certain items for net earnings for both comparable periods, net earnings would have been approximately $2.7 billion compared with $2.2 billion for the previous year, which represent an increase of $500 million or 22.6%. Adjusted 
diluted net earnings per share would have been $2.45 sorry, for fiscal 2021, compared with $1.97 for fiscal 2020, an increase of 24.4%. While we operated in a particularly challenging environment, one in which our fuel business saw meaningful uh, volume declines, we maintain our focus on returns, as well as our discipline on cost control and cash management. We also continue to invest in our business, preparing for the future and an eventual return to pre-pandemic traffic levels. The strong capital structure that we have diligently put in place serves us well during the past year, as we had the means to support our team members, to protect them as well as our customers, and to continue to create value for our shareholders. I will now go over some key figures for a quarter. For more details, please refer to our MDNA available on our website. During this most recent quarter, excluding the net impact from foreign currency translation, merchandise and service revenues for the fourth quarter of fiscal 2021 increased by approximately $411 million, or 12.7%. This increase is primarily attributable to organic growth and on merchandise and service sales, as well as the contribution from acquisitions, which amounted to approximately $165 million. For fiscal 2021, excluding CAPL's revenues, as well as the net impact from foreign currency translation, merchandise and service revenues increased by approximately $1.1 billion, or 7.6%. For the fourth quarter of 2021, excluding the net impact from foreign currency, currency translation, merchandise and service gross profit increased by approximately $117 million, or 10.9%. The, contribu the contribution from acquisition amounted to approximately $44 million. Our gross margin decreased by 0.7% in the United States to 31.8%, and by 0.1% in Canada to 31%, mainly due to the inventory adjustment of $26.4 million, and $3.2 million, respectively, mostly related to a net reusable value provision on, a personal, on personal protective equipment. Excluding inventory adjustments, gross margins in the U.S. and Canada would have been 32.8% and 31.6%, respectively, favorably impacted by changes in product mix. Our gross margin decreased by 2.5% in Europe and other regions to 38.1%, mainly due to the integration of Circle K Hong Kong, which has a different product mix than our European operations. Excluding Circle K Hong Kong, our gross margin in Europe and other regions would have been 42.8%, impacted by favorable changes in our product mix. During fiscal 2021, excluding CAPL's gross profit as well as the net impact from foreign currency translation, merchandise and service gross profit increased by approximately, three, approximately sorry, three, $305 million, or 6.2%. Our gross margin decreased by 0.2% to 33.1% in the United States, by 2.4% in Europe and other regions to 39.1%, and by 0.4% in Canada to 31.4%. We will now move on to the fuel side of our business. In the fourth quarter of fiscal 2021, our road transportation fuel gross margin was 34.45 cents per gallon in the US, a decrease of 10.48 cents per gallon, mainly driven by unusually high margins in the comparative quarter uh, due to the sharp decline in crude oil price last year. 
In Europe and other regions, the road transportation fuel gross margin was uh, 10.85 cents U.S. per liter, an increase of 10.18 cents U.S. per liter. And in Canada, it was at uh, 10.92 cents Canadian cents, sorry, per liter, an increase of 2.56 Canadian cents per liter. Fuel margins remain healthy from favorable market conditions and improved underlying product costs driven by fuel rebranding and procurement initiatives. The road transportation fuel gross margin in fiscal 2021 was 35.28 cents per gallon in US, US 10.99 cents per liter in Europe and in other, in other regions, and in Canada, 10.36 cents per liter Canadian cents. For the fourth quarter of uh, fiscal 2021, normalized operating expense decreased by 2.9% driven by government grants of $41 million, cost and labor efficiencies, a lower level of COVID-19 related expenses, as well as rigorous work and activities initiated to streamline and minimize our comparable expenses. These were partly offset by normal inflation, higher labor costs from minimum wage increases, and pressure from low employment rates in certain regions, and incremental investments in our stores to support our strategic initiatives. COVID-19 related expenses for the fourth quarter of fiscal 2021 included, include a thank you bonuses in Canada, additional cleaning and sanitizing supplies, masks and gloves for our employee, as well as the donation of personal protective equipment to the communities around our stores. During fiscal 2021, normalized operating expenses decreased by 1.2% compared with the previous fiscal year. Excluding specific items described in more details in our MD&E, the adjusted EBITDA for the fourth quarter of fiscal 2021 increased by $38.8 million, or 3.7%, compared with the fourth quarter of fiscal 2020, mainly due to organic growth uh, of our convenience activities, higher fuel demand, lower operating expenses, and the net positive impact from currency, uh, foreign currency translation, which had a net positive impact of approximately $25 million, as well as the contribution from acquisition, partly offset by lower fuel transportation gross margins in the U.S. During fiscal 2021, on the same basis, the adjusted EBITDA increased by $642.4 million, or 14.7%, compared with the previous fiscal year, mainly attributable to higher uh, road transportation fuel gross margins, organic growth of our convenience activities, lower operating expenses, as well as the net positive impact from foreign currency translation, partly offset by the negative impact of COVID-19 on fuel demand. The variation in exchange, in exchange rate had a net positive impact of approximately $45 million. Also excluding uh, specific items, the adjusted uh, income tax rate for the fourth quarter of fiscal 2021 was 18.5% compared with 20.7% for the fourth quarter of fiscal 2020. The decrease for the fourth quarter of fiscal 2021 is mainly stemming from the impact of the different mix in our earnings across the various jurisdictions in which we operate, as well as a, a, a from gains taxable at a lower income tax rate. The adjusted income tax rate for fiscal 2021 was 19.5% compared with an adjusted income tax rate of 19.9% for fiscal 2020. 
As of April 25th, uh, 2021, our return on equity remains strong at 24.3%, and our return on capital and third stood at 15.9%. During the quarter, we continued to generate strong free cash flows, and our leverage ratio stood at, at 1.32 times. As of, uh, as of April 25th, 2021, we had ample balance sheet uh, flexibility with $3 billion in cash and an additional $2.5 billion available to our revolving credit facility. It's also important to note that during the quarter in fiscal 2021, under our November 24, 2020 share repurchase program, we repurchased $17.4 million and $33.3 million Class B subordinate voting shares, respectively. These repurchases were settled for a net amount of $550 million and $1.1 billion, respectively. Also, subsequent to year-end, under our new program, we repurchased approximately $300 million of shares. Finally, on June 29, 2021, the Board of Directors declared a quarterly dividend of 8.75 Canadian cents per share and approved its payment for July 22, 2021. To close, I would like to highlight and thank our team for the work they, they have accomplished uh, throughout the last year ensuring that we emerge from the pandemic in a strong financial position and ready to accelerate capital deployment towards our strategic initiative, while always remaining focused on driving value creation for our employees, customers, and shareholders. I also uh, wanted to mention our up upcoming investor day. Uh, we hope that you're going to join us for our upcoming virtual event on July 14th, where we will uh, be hearing from several members of our management team regarding our businesses and some of our key initiatives. With that, I thank you all for your attention and uh, turn that uh, the call back to uh, you, Brian. Thank you, Claude. Just a couple of remarks in closing. You know, certainly when I look back at this year, uh, one word comes to mind, and that's gratitude. You know, my gratitude goes out to all of our team members for their continued commitment to each other and to our business. Our outstanding operations team kept our employees and customers safe this past year, kept our stores open, ensured that we were part of the solution in the communities where we live and work in the face, particularly in the U.S., of one of the most difficult labor markets I've ever seen in my career. With the support of our global functions, we did more than maintain the status quo during this difficult year. We stayed focused. We stayed focused on our strategy. We innovated for the future. Uh, we expanded into the growing Asia market and solely because of the hard work, engagement, and courage of our team members, that our company culture and balance sheet are stronger than ever before, and we're, get, we're getting ready for the future, a future beyond the pandemic where we continue to make our customers' lives a bit easier every day and become the world's preferred destination for convenience and mobility. Now, with that, we'll answer the questions we've received this morning from analysts. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 
21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Thank you, uh, Brian. Thank you, thank you, Claude. Our first question comes from uh, Patricia Baker at Scotia. And the first question is, uh, with the U.S. opening up, what is your expectation around summer travel this year? Do you expect to see a rise in fuel volume associated with Americans and to a lesser degree Canadians traveling more this summer by road uh, compared to last year? Yeah, I think we fully expect to see leisure travel in particular grow significantly over last year's levels. Uh, we saw that over Memorial Day uh, in the U.S., and although levels remain below 2019, you know, they are continuing to grow. So as states and borders continue to open, we believe there's a pent-up demand and people will hit the roads. Um, that said, there's still borders that are closed. Uh, you can't travel between the U.S. and Canada, as an example. Uh, and then parts of Europe have the same restrictions. So, you know, we're not at normal yet. Um, and then I'd also say, you know, we're seeing, and I think the industry is seeing, a lag in the recovery of the morning-day part, as many office uh, work environments remain either fully or partially remote. But uh, so it's a journey, it's a journey, but uh, it's headed in the right direction. Good. Uh, Claude, you noted that as part of uh, your strategic review, you have been selling certain locations and noted those cells in the, the release. Should we expect to see more such of such cells in the fiscal year? And at what point do you believe you will have the network best positioned? So, uh, thank you, Patricia. So, we, we've reviewed uh, our asset base in fall 2020 and uh, identified stores that were not longer strategic for us. And out of that came the, the, the sale of uh, 49 sites in Oklahoma for two cases and also uh, the, the putting for sales more than 300 sites that are currently being evaluated by potential buyers. So and also uh, as you certainly know we 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 were opportunistic and and uh, on some of our high value urban sites uh, that would work not more uh, to a buyer than it would uh, have been for our operation so we uh, we elected to divest some of them of those so it's however uh, an on, it's an ongoing process and we we're always looking for ways to optimize our network and to ensure that the, our stores are strategically relevant and strategically irrelevant means focusing on sites that are able to represent our brand well and also can accommodate our commercial programs uh, within the store. So we're going to continue to divest uh, as we go along our journey and maintain a nimble uh, network uh, and make sure that we're taking care of our tail end sites. The next uh, questions come from uh, Martin Landry at Stiffel. Uh, first question, uh, your five-year plan for fiscal year 23 calls for EBITDA to double from the fiscal year 18 level of $3 billion. This suggests that if you reach your objective, fiscal year 23 EBITDA could reach $6 billion, which is significantly higher than current consensus expectations of $4.6 billion. Do you still feel confident in attaining this goal? And what are the risks that could prevent you from reaching your five-year objective? Yeah, thanks, Martin. You know, just as a reminder, your, our five-year plan was to accelerate organic growth uh, to about 50% of our annual EBITDA growth, with the remainder being M&A, which has historically been well over half of our growth. 
so setting aside the uncertainties of COVID, you know, I feel right on track to deliver the organic growth rates we planned for three years ago. You know, those include things that we've talked about, you know, rolling out our fresh food fast offer, you know, localized pricing, fuel initiatives, assortment, uh, revamped and enhanced loyalty programs are on the agenda. You know, that I guess that turns us to the M&A side. You know, we've talked a lot about it in past quarters. You know, the appetite is absolutely there. Uh, we've taken some big swings at acquisitions, big and small, over the past couple of years, but we've been concerned about valuation levels. We are not going to do a deal for the sake of hitting this target, but at the same time, we remain optimistic that M&A can and will be a part of our growth story. It's part of our DNA. Uh, we're good at it. I think we integrate uh, as well as anyone, if not better than anyone in the industry. So, you know, it's just a question of finding the right opportunities out there. So, Martin's the second question. Uh, mm -hmm. Historically, U.S. fuel margins have been inversely correlated to uh, fuel prices. During the spring, we have seen an increase in fuel prices at the pump, but with limited to no impact on fuel margins. What explains the recent disconnect versus the historical relationship? Yeah, I certainly can't speak for our competitors, but uh, as, as we think about it, you know, we see fuel volumes have remained below their historical levels. Um, so I, I believe, you know, fuel retailers in general have been more focused on maintaining gross profit dollars uh, in the face of, you know, rising costs, tobacco pressures, et cetera. Uh, so that inherently means, you know, a sharper attention on fuel margins, and it's been encouraging these past months, as you've noted, as costs have increased globally to see the industry remain rational and fuel margins, unit margins, remaining very strong and compensating for the lack of volume. The next uh, two questions uh, come from uh, Bonnie Erzog at Goldman Sachs. The industry is facing pressures from higher operating costs coming out of COVID, especially higher wages in the tight labor market. Can you talk through some of the pressures you might be facing in fiscal year 22? And if there are opportunities for you to potentially manage these expenses more efficiently than some of your smaller peers, given your scale? Yeah, a few things to share there. So you know, we have seen tremendous pressure to hire. Uh, I want to note, and this is important, it's really a U.S. phenomenon for us. You know, we're not feeling the same pressures in Canada or Europe. So that gives me some hope that this is a part of, you know, economic stimulus and, and enhanced benefits uh, that have created some of the situation. Um, in the face of this, we're doing a lot to maintain staffing levels. You know, we have a heavy focus online hiring, online visibility. Uh, we put centralized uh, recruiting and hiring resources in place in each of our U.S. business units. Um, you know, we've got retention bonuses out there, you know, focused on better training and onboarding, making sure that those that we do get in the door, you know, understand the job and are able to do it. We certainly can't ignore the wage levels that we're seeing in some of our markets, but uh, we're striving to keep our costs as variable as we can, believing that some of this pressure is short term. Uh, we're seeing some early signs of increased applicant flow. There's 25 states that have either announced or ended supplemental unemployment benefits in the U.S., um, and we're seeing, again, increased applicant flow in those states. And with rising vaccine rates, we are optimistic that people will be more comfortable returning to the workforce. So, you know, while trying to remain competitive, we're focused on trying to keep these costs as variable as we can until we truly understand how much of this is short-term versus sustained cost pressure. 
That said, uh, we're doing a lot on the cost side. Maybe, Claude, if you want to share uh, some of the activities that uh, we think are able to more than offset this. Yes, Brian. Yeah, Bonnie, so we, we have a, a lot of going on. We have a comprehensive program internally to manage and optimize our costs. So our our focus is on, on reducing costs at store level primarily, uh, such as unnecessary labor hours or maintenance or non-customer facing activities that uh, could be done otherwise. So for this, we're, we're using, uh, as you mentioned, our scale, and we're using technology, or also the, the, the strength of our support function to, to help reduce our costs. As, uh, some examples are the consolidation of our vendors for maintenance. Uh, that's, that's one big activity that took place. Uh, uh, using our scale in marketing and with our POP uh, purchases. Uh, robotics uh, for back office tasks in store and also in our shared services. And a good example of offsetting technologies that we're using and are testing our, our pay-by-plate program that we're using in Europe uh, that we just launched very successfully. Also, self-checkout that we're testing in, in multiple stores in the U.S. right now that it, it, it has been proven uh, pretty, uh, pretty uh, uh, giving us good results. Thank you. Uh, Claude, a question for you on capital allocation especially given the strength of uh, your balance sheet and, and growing cash balance, as we look ahead to fiscal 22, do you plan to prioritize share repurchases, especially in the current M&A environment where there might not be as many large scale acquisition opportunities? Well, we're, we're, we're still feeling very good about our capacity to create value to M&A. Uh, we still are focusing on U.S. as our first priority. So U.S. and convenience uh, for us is number one. We also just uh, opened a new platform of growth in Asia with our acquisition of Hong Kong. So that opens up a, a whole new area for us in terms of M&A. And we're still also looking in adjacent sectors, uh, as you, you know, dollar stores, the travel, retail, the grocery, and QSR are, are things that we're looking into. So patience is key, uh, like Brian mentioned. We are involved in multiple opportunities and are, are opportunistic to continue our growth uh, through m uh, in the future. For the uh, capital allocation, we're, we're still going to be uh, opportunistic on our buyback. It's a tool uh, in, in, in our tool belt that, that we are going to use when we are under our target uh, leverage ratio of 2.25 times. So any time we're under that, then we're going to consider, uh, depending on the price of our stock, to, to use our, our buyback program. Great. The next uh, two questions come from Arun Natel at RBC Capital Market. Can you give us color on the contribution of key initiatives to driving same-store sales growth? And how should we think about the evolution or performance of these as we go through reopening? Yeah, I'd, I'd say that we have a lot going on. Um, there's always that balance. Do we have uh, enough or too much? Um, you know, certainly we're excited about our merchandise pricing promotion work. Uh, packaged beverage has just continued to be a very, very strong category, up strong double digit uh, year over year. Uh, strong performance in nicotine categories. Um, Non-combustible margin dollars have exceeded combustible in some of our key markets for the first time. You know, that's big. That's, uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, non-cigarettes being greater than cigarette margins uh, in our stores. Um, so, 
there is uh, life in the nicotine category. Um, people are switching uh, to, you know, to uh, healthier alternative ways to consume nicotine, and uh, we'll be a part of uh, helping them on that journey. And then for the future, we have a lot of things teed up. We talked about our fresh food fast, big ambition there to roll that out to 3,000 stores. You know, we feel we've got the right offer. We think we've got the right production platform. Um, it's really a journey of, you know, you know creating a food, food culture in our stores that uh, can execute that, and particularly executing that in a difficult labor market uh, that we're seeing in, in North America. Uh, Claude touched on sip and save. You know, we think that's pretty innovative, great value proposition for our customers, and something that we think uh, will certainly uh, create loyalty to our brand as we continue to sign people up. Uh, this summer, you'll see more around gamified promotions, gamified uh, activities have been strong for us both in Europe and in North America, and we'll continue that uh, with a strong focus on beverage through the summer months. You know, we all know that, you know, 50% of the trips in our industry are focused on the beverage and, and, and satisfying a thirst need. So, you know, you'll see a lot of activity around thirst over the summer from us. And, uh, you know, we feel good that uh, as life returns to normal, although it's hard to understand what good looks like, that we'll continue to grow our share in the industry. Second question from uh, from Irene. Yep, yep. Uh, fuel Great. margins remain uh, robust. Can you provide color around the contribution of Kushtar procurement strategies to margin? How should we think about sustainability to industry metrics? Yeah, I think you know we remain a leader in the fuels market, and we're committed to win. You know, we're we believe we can continue to create you know strategic advantages that uh, a lot of the industry can't achieve. You know, we're certainly seeing benefits early on from our Musket partnership. You know, it combines one of the largest gasoline shorts in the world, ours, with one of the largest diesel shorts uh, uh, from the Love's side. And you combine those, you know, it creates very unique opportunities uh, around the procurement and around, you know, creating value for our refining partners. Uh, it accelerates our global training capabilities, enabling us to capture global arbitrages. An example would be, you know, HVO, um, you know, which is 100% renewable fuel, uh, is mandated and required in, in many of our European markets. You know, in this past quarter, we've been able to procure meaningful amounts of that in North America, shipping it to our Scandinavian markets uh, at a cost-advantage basis. Um, transportation, uh, we've deployed uh, more of our own fleet, now approaching, I think, 900 or so trucks, and that allows us to capture location arbitrages across our geographies. And all this fits particularly well with our conversion to our own brands, you know, which allows us to be a lot more flexible on the supply side. And again, as I started out saying, we believe it creates some sustainable advantages versus the industry overall. Good. So uh, next question is from Derek Blake at Canaccor uh, Genuity. Uh, in the regions that are ahead in terms of reopening, are you witnessing a normalization in terms of consumer purchasing behavior? Yeah, Daryl, Derek, I, I wouldn't call it normal yet, for sure, but uh, we are seeing some trends. Uh, you know, traffic is is improving where we've got society opening up and more higher vaccination rates. Um, sales mix is trending back more toward normal. You know, food, which is you know shut down to a great degree in some of our markets, particularly in Europe, uh, is up and operating and growing. Uh, we're seeing more single serve, which both of those help margin. Um, the ba basket is declining a bit, uh, but still at levels well above pre-COVID. 
and then finally, I would I would touch on the morning day part, which I mentioned mentioned earlier. It's the one that is lagging. Uh, you know, as we've got uh, you know, work from home still in place in many many parts of uh, the world, but we we anticipate that recovering as workplaces open up and people return either full time or part time to their uh, places of work. Good. Thank you. Moving to uh, Graham uh, Crindler's uh, uh, question mm -hmm. from uh, Eight Capital. The potential for cannabis reforms in the U.S. has many different pathways. Can you please discuss how the company views a scenario where interstate commerce is allowed versus a, a scenario where state markets are ring-fenced with respect to its strategic relationship with fire and flower? Yeah, I'd start by saying, you know, we're, we're proud of the role that we and our industry plays in selling age-restricted products globally. We're exercising the same focus and responsible retailing as we look at cannabis. Our focus over the last two years has really been to understand the market and develop a consumer offer and associated technologies to win in that market with a goal to have a model to deploy in the U.S. when the time is right and if we think, you know, the returns are there. And so we've been pleased with our partnerships uh, with Canopy Growth and with Fire and Flower in Canada and uh, pleased with the progress. You know, we, uh, we're seeing continued sales growth and uh, as we open sites, you know, that business starts to become material to us. We're closely watching uh, the regulatory front in North America, and I'm very pleased personally uh, that NAX is engaged to lobby for a level and open playing field on behalf of our industry in the cannabis space. U.S. industry today in those legalized states is extremely fragmented on the retail side, so we believe there will be meaningful opportunities for a scaled retailer with the right offer. And to your point on interstate versus ring-fenced, you know, if, if we do see ring-fenced, this certainly will create the need for partnerships, um, which we've got some foundations in place with canopy growth and conversations with others. Um, we don't see ourselves focused on the growing or extraction pieces of the business. We're very much focused on retail. So, again, partnerships could be a part of that solution if interstate uh, is not allowed. The next question comes from Bobby Griffin at Raymond James. On the merchandise side of the business, are you seeing any impacts from cost inflation? And if so, what are areas of the product assortment and is the inflation having any notable impact on customer demand? Yeah, you know, it's, it's just happening now, but we certainly are seeing, you know, cost pressures uh, in certain categories. You know, you can talk about you know, the cost of aluminum can, as an example. I mean, it's, it's really across the board, you know, seeing it in proteins um, and others. You know, we can closer monitoring that and always evaluating our price and uh, engaging our analytics teams to watch elasticity closely. You know, demand is hard to quantify right now as, you know, sales are very volatile with COVID openings and reopenings. Um, but at the same time, you know, household income levels are very healthy, uh, really globally. Um, so we believe we will be able to effectively pass along any material cost increases without any significant impact on uh, demand in our stores. The next question is from uh, Chris Lee at Desjardins Securities. Do you have a sense of the break-even fuel margin point for the single store and small chain operators? Has the break-even point moderated compared to the height of the, the pandemic? or has it remained largely the same because of rising cost pressures from labor shortages and EMD compliance? So Chris, we don't have industry data, at least not current right now, and I'd call it a moving target. You know, just the math would say overall break-evens 
should be down a bit as volumes are the key driver of that equation, and they've recovered a bit. There's certainly these break-evens are higher than pre-COVID levels due to volume and the cost pressures that you point out, whether that be labor or the cost of EV, EMB compliance. Yeah, I'd emphasize the importance of the initiatives that we've got in place to create sustainable advantages versus industry, whether that's the initiatives we discussed inside the store, our fuel procurements, our branding efforts, or the efforts Claude mentioned to make sure that we're continually taking costs out of the business and being a low-cost operator in our space. Next question is from uh, John Royal at uh, JP Morgan. U.S. fuel same-store gallons came in below our expectations based on industry demand numbers relative to the same period of 2020, while CPG uh, came in a bit ahead of our expectation relative to industry averages. Was there an effort to sacrifice some uh, volume by raising margin, or is there another color around the volume? First and foremost, we're focused on providing a consistent value to our customers with our fuel pricing. So in no way have we uh, consciously decided to sacrifice volume for margin. Uh, you know, we, we're very uh, analytical and data-driven around those uh, around those decisions daily. I would say volumes have been very volatile. And that's not only across countries and markets uh, as they've reopened at different paces, but we're also seeing differences within states between rural, urban, and suburban you know, with rural recovering at a faster pace than urban for, you know, obvious reasons. So it's uh, it's a moving target, but uh, one that we're committed to uh, to watching closely. And again, you know, just providing a consistent value to our customers as we go forward. The next two questions are from Karen Short at Barclays Capital. How are you thinking about the fuel margin outlook this year? Specifically, how rationally do you think operators will react to a higher wage and product cost inflation. How do you view the sustainability of high uh, fuel mar high margins in the U.S. relative to history? Any structural change to think about that are informing your views? Yeah, Karen, I'd say fuel margins have always been difficult to predict in the short term. Uh, but if you look at the last decade, uh, you'd see a consistent rise in unit margins for the industry. You know, underlying this is the need to generate an acceptable level of return in the face of cost pressures, um, declining cigarettes for some parts of the uh, the network or the uh, the industry, and again, fuel volumes. Um, some players have bled volume out uh, over this period, and they've got to make it up. You know, COVID certainly has magnified these effects, and uh, the markets responded pretty rationally. You know, to the extent these volumes are slow to recover and inflation is there in the short term, we believe the margins will have to remain healthy to offset. You know, I'm not really concerned about short-term volatility. You know, it's been a part of our industry forever. You know, I just uh, have our organization focused on widening the advantages that we have versus the overall industry. Uh, that includes investing in technology, loyalty, food, you know, all the other things that we've talked about to you over the past quarters. And then, you know, compounding that with Circle K uh, fuel, which gives us, again, more optionality, better procurement uh, capabilities, uh, better consumer offer, and uh, you know, obviously we, we don't incur those brand fees that uh, we would have with a, a refiner brand. With the new localized pricing strategy in more than half of the system, how should we think about the ability of these new systems to successfully manage the significant price volatility and high inflation we are seeing in some categories? 
how are gross margins uh, trending at these stores versus the control group? You know, we're very happy with the progress and seeing clear improvement versus control sites, and uh, hopefully we can share more uh, during our investor day. Well, we do now have this widely deployed across our geographies with the next step to continue to increase the percent of the categories covered. You know, for example, tobacco has been a category that uh, we really haven't deployed this into, and we think there's big opportunities. So while we've deployed broadly across geographies, you know, the, the categories and SKUs covered, uh, that's still a journey, and uh, that's it's happening quickly. And concurrently, we're piloting localized assortments and localized promotions. And we believe these are both very material opportunities, and uh, we'll uh, be learning a lot over the coming uh, quarters with the uh, the three markets that we've got under pilot on both of those. The next uh, question is uh, from Mark Petri at CIBC World Markets. You have increasingly spoken about the attractiveness of business-to-business -business fueling and the importance of a local presence of the Circle K brand. Could you elaborate on the key steps that could lead to this being a larger part of your offering, be it capital, infrastructure, marketing, or otherwise? Yeah, Mark, uh, you know, B2B has been a great strength of our offer in Europe, and we continue to win and grow market share uh, there. And we've seen during COVID that that demand's been very resilient uh, compared to the B2C business. You know, and it's been a little bit frustrating because, you know, over the nine years I've watched that since we uh, bought Statoil. Um, but there have been material structural things that blocked our ability to deploy that at the same pace or have that same level of success in North America. You know, the first and foremost is the brands. You know, if you look back three, four years ago, if you went to a certain market, you might see a Circle K with a BP uh, fuel, Shell fuel, a Chevron, and, uh, you know, it was literally impossible to get a consistent B2B offer out there to our customers. So the, the key first step is the brand conversions. We're well underway, and as I said earlier, we'll have another 800 sites converted this year, and that consistency will allow us to create a strong network in many key markets for us and be able to present a consistent and uh, compelling offer to our customers. Second, I'd add, you know, we've uh, brought in Louise Warner. She was a part of Caltex or Ampol in Australia. So as we did not end up with that network, we ended up with the next best thing, which is a, a great uh, leader. Um, she brings tremendous experience to us in the B2B space from her role leading this in Caltex. And she's focused on plans to grow this materially as we finalize our conversions to our proprietary brands in North America. So more to come there, but it's certainly an area that uh, we see big opportunity for us. Next question uh, comes from Michael Van Els at CD Securities. Many companies, particularly deals in the US, have pointed to challenges in attracting and maintaining labor, as well as, as meaningful cost inflation tied to labor, transportation, and various materials. Kushtard has managed to keep normalized OPEC's role close to nil in fiscal 21, and it declined 2.9% on a comparable basis in Q4. How much did the government grants contribute to lowering costs, and do you see the likelihood of OPEC's requirements rising at an accelerated pace over the next few years because of these inflationary factors mentioned, as well as the return to normal operation as the pandemic fades? Yeah. So, uh, Michael, uh, I think Brian uh, alluded to the, the labor challenges that uh, that we're facing in the U.S. Uh, particularly. 
uh, and uh, on, on, on your specific question about the grants that we received from the government, we accounted for 41 million uh, in the government grants during the quarter. So if we are looking at it without the grants, our OPEX would have uh, increased by 0.5%. Uh, still a, a strong performance in our view, uh, testament to our cost discipline and uh, commitment to all our expenses uh, growth under inflation rate, uh, like it's, it's always been our, our challenge and that we've communicated in previous, uh, in previous uh, uh, meetings. So we're, we're pleased uh, with the efforts that we're doing to manage our cost base. As mentioned before, we have many programs in place uh, to help this performance, and, and I've talked about them earlier on the call, but uh, uh, you know, we're using our scale and our technology uh, and also our support functions to, to make sure that we're maintaining those, those costs also in the future at a lower rate than inflation. Thank you, Claude. Uh, the next question comes uh, from Peter Sklar at BMO Capital Markets. Now that Triple K Hong Kong has been uh, closed for a period of time, can you talk more about the potential M&A opportunities in Asia and which countries are attractive for Kushtard? Also, what is the M&A environment in Asia and how do evaluate do valuations compared to North America? Yeah, first I'd say we've been very pleased uh, to bring Hong Kong into the family. Uh, a lot of innovation, a lot of energy, uh, a lot of culture there. So despite not being able to uh, meet them in person since the acquisition, uh, you know, we've had some great conversations and they've, uh, you know, they've added value back to us already. Um, that said, you know, we, we didn't buy that company to have 400 stores in Asia. You know, it's part of a long-term commitment uh, to try to grow in that part of the region. And, uh, you know, I think this is a platform for that. You know, we've looked at several opportunities since uh, the Hong Kong acquisition and uh, having that team on the ground, I think one brings us credibility, but then two also brings us meaningful insights into some of the markets we're looking at. Um, I'd say our focus right now it would be in Southeast Vietnam or Southeast uh, Asia, uh, countries like a Vietnam uh, would be an example where, you know, we've got an emerging class of dis with disposable income, which leads to modern retail and leads to convenience. Um, so again, multiple conversations, um, but as I've always said, it's a long-term play. Uh, so, you know, something may happen quickly or it may take a while, but, uh, you know, I think uh, just based on early feedback, um, you know, we're, we're having more conversations as a result of actually being on the ground there today. Great. Our last question comes uh, from uh, Vishal Sridhar at uh, National uh, Bank Financial. Can you explain the na nature of the $26 million in inventory adjustment related to merchandise growth process? Uh, yes, Vishal. So the, the net reusable value provision was taken uh, consequences of the, the market reopening and mandatory mask wearing in, in many jurisdictions was lifted. And, and we see improving conditions also with the COVID restrictions uh, uh, everywhere. So this reserve is uh, mostly for uh, inventories of masks and hand sanitizers that we, we had in inventory in our stores uh, that, uh, that we want to, mark, uh, to market uh, in the current environment. So. Great. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Claude. Uh, that covers all of the questions for today's call. Uh, we thank you, everyone, to, for joining uh, and want to wish you a, a great day. And we really look forward to uh, 
virtually seeing you at our uh, July 14th Investor Day. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Thank you, everyone. Fourteenth. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. This concludes today's conference. You are now invited to disconnect. Ceci met fin à la web émission d'aujourd'hui. Vous êtes maintenant invité à mettre fin à cet appel. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.